the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. These are the words that begin Jesus' ministry. In our gospel passage from Mark today, Jesus, after having been baptized by John, comes to Galilee and begins preaching the gospel. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And there are two pieces of information in this word of gospel preaching that are both very important. The first is that the kingdom of God has come near. When we pray the Lord's Prayer each week and we say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are praying for God's reign to come to earth, for the power of God to reign supreme over all other powers in our world and in our hearts. We're praying for a whole new way of things in the world, that the powers that think they're in control, inside and outside of us, are put in their place, and the reign of God, who is our good shepherd, instead prevails with truth and grace. The reign of God has come near. Jesus then says, repent and believe in the good news. Hand in hand with the proclamation of God's reign coming near is the directive from Jesus to repent and believe in the good news. And these are connected statements. God's reign, God's power is near. So why don't you repent? Step down from your own throne that you have grown to love and remember who is actually in control of everything. So I want to talk about repentance for a moment because it stirs up a lot of feelings in me when I hear the word, and I wonder if it might do the same for you. When I hear repentance, I tend to think of picket signs on the side of the road that say, either implicitly or explicitly, that God hates me because I'm a sinner, that the end of the world is near, and that I am somehow responsible for saving myself in light of that. Repent and believe or else. And this is how these words of Jesus's are often interpreted. But this is not a good representation of the grace that is repentance. One way that I think about repentance is through the act of falling asleep. Imagine it with me without actually falling asleep, if you can. You're laying in bed, and you need to fall asleep, but you are combing through your to-do list for tomorrow, or rehashing those items from your to-do list today that you didn't get to, or you're replaying the things that you said and did that you really wish that you hadn't said or did. And all of it is keeping you very much awake. And then, through no help of your own, you finally, hopefully, drift off to sleep. When you wake up, you don't really know how it happened, but somehow, your body took over and everything that was plaguing you became nothing more than a distant memory, and you finally got the rest that you needed. Repentance is similar. It is that moment when all of the many things that plague you, all of the ways that you're reminded that you don't measure up to the standards that you have set in your own mind, 
all of the memories of the day's failure fall to the wayside, and you become aware of the person you really are, which is a human being who is desperately tired and in need of rest. Repentance is simply the admission, the confession of our human nature. It is a blessed giving up. It is the body taking over, shutting down all of your protesting, all of your feeble attempts at being the perfect human being that you so wish you could be, and resting at last. So we are currently in the season of Epiphany in the church calendar, and in our women's Bible study on Thursday mornings, we've just begun reading Fleming Rutledge's new book on the subject. We talked a couple weeks ago about the definition of the word epiphany as an aha moment, an instance of clarity, or a new moment of suddenly thinking differently about something. An epiphany is a kind of out-of-body experience when wisdom or clarity or peace descends into your day, into your life, and somehow changes you. Usually an epiphany happens to me in very strange and unexpected moments, like when I'm driving in the car in a kind of hypnotic state because it's the same drive I've done every day, and suddenly the most random insight about my relationship with my mother comes to me completely out of the blue. I had a parishioner afterwards ask me, I hope that's a good thing that comes to you randomly. And mom, if you're watching the live stream, it's always only good things. <laughs> that is an epiphany. It is a gift, a random thought that changes me, that comes from outside of myself. So in this season of epiphany, we read stories of those aha moments when different people come to see that Jesus is the Son of God. The fishermen in this gospel story have an epiphany of their own, an out-of-body experience that changes everything. One day, they're working as fishermen, and the next, Jesus comes to them and tells them to drop their nets and follow him. They've had some kind of epiphany that has led them to immediately, it says, leave their families and sources of income and welfare and futures as far as they know it and follow this strange rabbi instead. This epiphany is a moment of faith that happens to these fishermen. It is a gift of grace through and through. So the fishermen who will become Jesus' disciples are told that instead of fishing for fish, soon they will instead be fishing for people. And often we think of that as this beautiful metaphor for discipleship, that the disciples like us ought to go out and bring people of our own strength and fishing prowess into the presence of Jesus. And listen, I'm not a fisherwoman myself, but one thing I know about fishing is that unless you catch and release them, fish tend to die when you go fishing, right? So when Jesus talks about fishing for people, he's not only talking about rescuing them, bringing them new life, he's also talking about death. Repentance, like fishing, is a kind of death. It is a letting go, 
It is the admittance of one's weaknesses, whether one wants to admit them or not. It is a helplessness. There is nothing more helpless than a fish on a line or a person who is fast asleep. Although Paul told me after the last sermon that uh, sometimes he's the person who's helpless on the end of the line, so maybe it depends on your fishing. Jesus here in this poetic way is giving us a picture of repentance, a picture of being human, of our helplessness and our deep need for the reign of God. In 1961, The Twilight Zone aired an episode called A Game of Pool, in which a billiards champion has beaten everyone in the sport, everyone except the legendary Fats Brown, who is dead. The man is absolutely possessed by his need to beat even Fats Brown, whose record is unmatched. No matter how many people the man beats in the sport, he cannot beat the late, great Fats Brown, who died before his time. So after wishing that he could play him and finally prove that he is, in fact, a better pool player than Fats Brown, who comes to him in that pool hall but the legendary dead Fats Brown himself? So he agrees to play the man who ominously warns him that winning might cost him something in return. After a harrowing game, the man actually manages to beat Fats Brown, and he finally becomes the best pool player to exist. Now his picture can be framed on the walls of that pool hall. But Fats Brown reacts to his defeat with tears of joy. Why? Why is the pool legend so joyous in the face of his defeat? We soon discover that now that Fats Brown is no longer the reigning champion, he is finally free from playing pool with all the people in the world who find themselves wishing that they could have the chance to prove that they are better than Fats Brown. There's a new champion in town now who must prove his superiority over and over again, even in his eventual death. The episode ends with Rod Sterling's voice. Being the best at anything means always needing to prove it. But Fats Brown has gone fishing. Fats Brown has gone fishing. He no longer has anything to prove. So now he can just enjoy his life, or rather his death. Just like Fats Brown, the disciples in this story have gone fishing. They have nothing to prove, only a life ahead of following Jesus, the great fisher of men. And you too have nothing to prove. The Christian life is one big gone fishing sign. Fishing, like repentance, is a kind of death. It is helplessness of the greatest kind, resting in the arms of the one who loves us. What comes after death in the story of Jesus? Resurrection. Life. Waking up the next morning 
after having been released from the worries of the day before, feeling rested at last. Rescue, that's what comes after death. A new life that you can enjoy because you have been graciously allowed to let go of both your failures and your triumphs, living under God's reign and not your own. Amen.